welcome to Monologues by Hassie, where I'm going to be dropping unsolicited brain dumps from the depths of my grey matter. I'll talk about life, money, society, and self-development, plus whatever else lies up there, whilst hopefully not getting cancelled in the process. I haven't podcasted in about a month, and there's very good reason for that. A lot of this month, um, a lot of May, has been consumed by almost purchasing my first home. And I really want to emphasize on the word almost, because I was going to purchase uh, this, what I thought was going to be my first home, a two-bedroom apartment, and I was emotionally invested in the purchase. I told friends, I told my family, I told co-workers, and then I pulled out at the last minute. And there was a lot of reasons for me pulling out of that purchase. And so here's what I learned throughout that process, and I'll reiterate what I went through. So I, during my search, I had been searching for these apartments, two bedroom apartments, you know, one, one bathroom, a single car space or a garage. And I narrowed it down to three units on a particular street in one of the more undesirable suburbs of Sydney. I'm not going to mention its name because the last thing I want is anybody fomoing into this particular suburb, considering I still haven't bought. Um, and I'd hate for all of you listening to go and jack the prices up. That said, um, I'd narrowed it down to three apartments and I remember there was one that I really liked and I said, you know what, I've, I've kind of been haggling with the agent for a while. Um, he knocked back my original offer of 340000 and a few weeks later, that probably looked like a very good offer considering that property hadn't sold and has been on the market at that time for, for about 12 weeks, which is a, a long time for a property. And the agent was really pestering me. He said, you know, the owner would be more amenable to that existing offer. And my mentality was, well, if it wasn't good enough for you two months ago, why would I, why would I give you that offer now? It clearly means the market's changed. Um, but at the same time, there was another unit in the same building. And I said, what the heck? Let's go check out this other unit. The photos actually look a bit nicer. And when I looked at this other unit, so the unit I was interested in was a third floor unit. And when I looked at the ground floor or the first level unit, I noticed there were all these massive stress cracks in every bedroom. And I vividly remember that the very lovely tenant who lived in that particular building let me in. And I was absolutely, and and she she had the, the property was maintained absolutely beautifully. But there were all these massive cracks throughout the entire apartment. I'm talking, we're not talking small stress cracks. I'm talking cracks where you could have put, you know, maybe a few fingers into them um, in the cornices, in the ceilings, on the walls. And there was a picture of Jesus Christ on the wall. And I thought, my God, if I buy this house, A, this is a lovely lady. I'd hate to buy her house and, you know, force her into another rental in in a very tight market. But at the same time, I feel like um, if, you know, this image of Jesus came off the wall, this whole building's gonna come down. And then out of the three buildings I was looking at, I, I was so spooked by that experience. I said, well, you can't buy either of those two units in that building because there's clearly massive structural problems. I didn't even have to do an inspection, just visually, I knew that that was a bad decision and I completely ruled two properties out, done. So I was pretty much left with this one property that, you know, I was, I guess, so and so on. But the last time I saw it would have been about two months before I decided to make a a formal offer on it. And I remember the first time I saw it, it really didn't appeal to me. It looked like it had just been freshly tenanted. I mean, there were like drawings on the walls and stuff like that, that old tenants must have had kids. Um, And I was like, 
well, that's going to be a lot of work. It, it just wasn't appealing. But when I did take another look at it, it had been freshly painted and, you know, I was looking at the walls and I said, well, the walls actually look very solid, unlike that other, other apartment. And I said, this isn't too bad. I, I always knew that when I was coming into this process, because I am buying in, I guess, a more lower socioeconomic suburb and that a lot of these units that I'm looking at, they're not owner-occupied. They're typically owned by landlords who don't give a shit about them and just rent them out. You know, some of the worst properties really do border on kind of like slumlord, slum style properties. And I always knew that obviously I didn't want to buy the most horrible properties, but I'd want to buy something manageable. And I, I knew I'd need to put in some work into making it habitable, but I was hoping to do that over some time. Anyways, this apartment that I'd previously not been so keen on all of a sudden looked really good. And I decided to put an offer in. I started at 340,000. They said, let's do 360. I said, I can only do 345. Um, and they said, oh, look, the, the agent was very stressed out. He said, you, you know, he said, Hassie, you're making me sweat. And you know, I, I, I rang him a few days later. I said, look, I really want this apartment. I'll, I'll, I'll put an extra $500 in just, just to prove that I'm very committed. You know, your property has been on the market almost for 12 weeks. I think this is a good offer. And that's what I said. And the next day they came back, they accepted my offer. Now. In the meanwhile, I'd um, engaged a, a great property lawyer to kind of help me through the process. Um, I learned a lot of stuff from him as well. And he was making sure that the contract was, you know, that it was up to scratch, that it met the standards that it needed to meet. He was really anal. And I really appreciate that. I think when you have a lawyer, you want somebody who is going to give the other party a very hard time. And it's, it's for your benefit at the end of the day, obviously. Some lawyers like to prolong things as much as possible, but not so much this guy. It really is a fixed, uh, he, he does have a fixed price for his contract reviews. And he picked up terms that were unfavorable. And I, I remember when, generally when you have a contract, there's a front page saying what the property comes with. Um, they hadn't ticked things like stoves, carpets, blinds. And he really encouraged me. He said, look, Cassie, you can sign this without it there, but if they happen to pull the stove out when you get to you know, your settlement, when the property comes into your possession, there's nothing you can do if the current owner has pulled out the stove. So he said, really make sure you have that. So I had a lot of back and forth with the real estate agency. They were pretty unprofessional about how willing they were to get those things up to scratch. They kept saying, yeah, the lawyers can deal with it after you've signed. But for anyone out there buying a house, it's never good to sign a contract if you know you don't agree with the terms that they're gonna to have to be changed down the track. That's never a good idea. So make sure that the contract is up to scratch and, and definitely only then should you sign it. So that said, we got all that sorted. And one of the things both the bank, when I arranged finance and my property lawyer had both said to me was, because you're a first home buyer, make sure you have a 10 day cooling off period. Where I live in New South Wales, we have generally, it's very standard to have a five day cooling off period. And that's basically where you can pull out of that contract. And that's the point where you have a very minimal financial penalty. It's 0.25% of the purchase price. So in my case, it worked out to be like roughly $900. So yes, it is a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not the type of penalty that you'd incur if you broke that contract outside of that cooling off period. So anyways, I got a 10 day cooling off period. And during that 10 day cooling off period, I did two big pieces of due diligence, um, both organized with my lawyer. So he was engaged in that process as well. The first was I got a building inspection done. 
So I had a building inspector go to the unit and I had something called a strata report done. So, you know, I was very committed to buying this particular apartment, provided that the building report and the strata report came back and said that, you know, this, this place is fine, go ahead with the purchase. Now, the first, I guess, piece of due diligence I got back was the actual building report slash building inspection. So I remember going to the property to meet the building inspector after he completed the inspection. And I remember him taking me through, and, and this guy was really great as well. Again, just very much like the lawyer. He, he was, uh, you know, an ex-civil engineer who, who was now in the inspection space. And he was very much, I guess he was very detailed about what he pulled out. And I was quite amazed because this building inspector was picking up things which I hadn't even considered. So I, I learned a lot through that process because as he was explaining things to me, I was like, holy crap, I didn't even think to check that or... I didn't realize that's gonna be a problem. Obviously there are some things which require specialized equipment to pick up, but there were actually visual things which I hadn't picked up that he had. So the building inspection basically came back and sorry, the building inspector told me that, look, there are two big problems with this apartment. The first one is in the bathrooms and kitchens, um, you actually potentially have a water leak behind the showers and, and there could be a damaged waterproofing. So waterproofing is, it's like a plastic membrane which prevents water from seeking into the concrete. Um, it, it, you know, if, if, if water leaks behind your tiles, it makes sure that the water uh, goes towards the drainage hole and, and doesn't impact the structural integrity of the concrete. And he said, look, there's likely to be issues with the waterproofing. You're gonna have to get a plumber or ideally a bathroom specialist to pull back those tiles, potentially reapply uh, you know, waterproofing. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not great. I think for a lot of first home buyers, any home buyers, if you heard that, you'd be a bit scared because that's money that you're going to have to pull out. But with this purchase, as I mentioned earlier, I always knew that I'd have to give it, give a property a certain level of TLC that it hadn't received before. And one of the things I was prepared to do was to do a bathroom renovation. So I said, okay, cool. There's a leak. There's an issue with waterproofing okay, it's not great because I can't use the bathroom straight away, but it just means that I'm going to have to do the bathroom renovation. That's going to be the very first renovation I do. It's not ideal because it, it definitely is probably one of the more expensive renovations you can do in a property. But you know what? Um, I rationalized and said, okay, it's fine. You're just going to have to move some money forward. So I was definitely rationalizing in my head. I, I was rationalizing ways that I could still go ahead with the purchase of this property at that point. He said the other major issue is that there's a massive mold problem. And I, it, it hadn't even hit me that there was a mold problem and it was just something he picked up. He said the carpet is actually a health hazard and so are the blinds and he had detailed photos. And I remember him looking at me dead in the eyes and he said, mate, look, don't move your family in without replacing that, you know, that, that carpet and getting that mold cleared. It is a massive biohazard. And I was like, holy shit, well, this place is actually uninhabitable. If you have a bathroom you can't use and you have mold on your carpets, like this is not even mold in the bathroom areas, this is mold in your living areas, that's, that's not great. But again, in my head, I was still rationalizing that, okay, this can be dealt with because I planned on pulling out the carpet and putting in like a nice vinyl plank, like a wood lookalike plank. And I said, okay, not great. You know, there's renovations that you could have stretched out over 12 months. You're going to have to do in the first, first month or two and it's going to be very expensive and you're probably not going to be living in the property. Yeah. I said, I can do it. So I definitely was very much, you know, my monkey mind was spinning and I was rationalizing and coming up with ways that how could I deal with this problem? And if that building report was all, all that was wrong, 
I, I know it's, it's kind of crazy thinking about it now, but I probably would have gone ahead with that purchase. So I, I, I was very emotionally attached to, to buying this property, which, which is it's scary. Now, the next part of the due diligence was the Strata report. Now, Strata, for those who don't know about it, um, it is in America, they call this like a homeowners association and that, that, that term or a HOA and that really describes what Strata is. And basically when you're living in a unit or a townhouse, you have the property that you own and generally you own everything within the paint and above the floor and, and the floor coverings and above. And, but the structure of the building is often considered common property, which means in a unit, if the roof gets blown off, the people living on the top floor don't just pay for it, the whole building pays for it because the roof is considered common property. So with the strata scheme, it's one of the due diligence checks you can do is to pull out a strata report and 100% this is highly recommended. I'm not, not highly recommended, I'd say it's essential because strata, as I've learned, um, can definitely be very messy. It, it's a, it can be a complete, an absolute utter mess, as I learned. So I remember my lawyer a, a few days after the building inspection, and and and, and mind you, I, I probably got the building inspect. I had the building inspection on Monday. I got the strata report maybe Wednesday afternoon. So between Monday and Wednesday, I was coming up with ideas of how to pull money and get these renovations done. So again, still very emotionally inspect, uh, invested in in the purchase. And I remember getting an email from the the lawyer, and he wrote one sentence. He said. You know, he said the, you know, the pleasantries, hi, Hassie. And then he said, here's the strata report. I'm very concerned. Let's discuss this on Thursday. Cause I, cause I had a meeting with him later. And I remember reading through the strata report and it was probably like 60, 60 pages. There was everything from financials to meeting minutes, um, engineers reports. And there were all these documents and I just started reading through them. And I remember the first thing I read is with the strata scheme, Generally, they have a 10-year forecast for major works. In, in this case, um, the building, the Strata Committee had commissioned a 15-year forecast. And as I was reading it, it the, the commissioned report basically said from financial year 2021-22 to 2022-23, so from this year to next year, if you want to keep the maintenance of this property, you know, to a level where you can deal with the issues it has, that the strata levies for capital works are gonna to have to increase by 140%. So this building already had a relatively higher strata. So strata meaning what you pay to the strata. So your homeowners association fees or your strata fees, it was about eight to $900, which is kind of high for a four story unit block, which doesn't have any staircases. And look, high strata isn't inherently a bad thing because it might just mean that work is being completed and really you are paying for common you know, maintenance of the building you live in. But you really wanna look at whether that strata is being managed properly. And what I saw was that this, this particular block of units had been so mismanaged that there was a huge backlog of capital works and they simply couldn't fund it with the existing levies. And the levies are split into two parts. Um, one part is an administration fund and it's for your kind of uh, regular yearly outgoings. And then you have a capital works fund or your sinking fund, which is for bigger capital works, you know, Im improvements and any issues and defects the building has that have to be remedied with that there's kind of two pots of money. And basically they said for this capital works portion of the levy, it's, it's gonna have to increase by 140% next financial year. And I was like, 
well, that's gonna push Strider up to like a thousand dollars, which is which is a lot for a property, which you know, realistically speaking, was again, we're bordering on kind of slumlord slumlord style, um, you know, apartments, and it, it makes sense why there's so much built up work. And I was like, okay, that's kind of scary. And then I, you know, I I read through this report, and I I, I honestly, it was probably one of the the best learning experiences I had because I had to go through the financials for this whole whole strata committee. And I said, well, you know, it doesn't look great. And then I read the existing financials and I was like, the administrative fund is in deficit, which, you know, which meant they were in negative money, which has to be pulled out from somewhere. And the capital works fund, the, the amount of money, there was, there's 26 apartments in the complex and there was about $50,000 in the capital works fund. So, you know, we're talking roughly $2,000 per apartment and the work proposed for the next financial year was about $60,000. So it was very clear that the amount of money <laughs> that they were, that they had in the kitty wasn't actually enough to do the work they already planned to do next year. And that's just not good business. Like it, that, that just screams um, not well run. And at this point I could have said, okay, well, the strata is gonna cost you more, but at least you'll get your property and you know, you'll, you'll, you'll make your, you'll renovate your interior. And, and again, renovating with strata is a topic for another day, but it's manageable if it's just a slightly higher cost. You know, I can always go and earn more money. That's that's fine if strata goes up. But at this point, you know, I was starting to get cold feet, I guess is the right word, because I already knew there were issues in the actual unit itself that were identified by the building inspector. And now I'm reading the strata report and I'm basically looking at I don't know if financial mismanagement is the right word, but I guess, you know, it's almost like technical debt in a building. Like it's it's a lack of maintenance over the last 20 years and it's really catching up with 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 the Strata Corporation, sorry, with the, you know, with the Strata Committee um, and, and the owners of the building. And yeah, it was a bit scary. And then I remember I, I specifically read, there, there was a section from an engineer's report that said, that that pointed out some defects in the building and there were there were two big things that it pointed out i guess the one was that all the waterproofing on the balconies would have to be redone so there were waterproofing issues and and waterproofing every balcony is not very cheap and <laughs> that's not a cheap exercise that's a few hundred thousand dollars there um, for 26 units and what really really scared me and i think if anybody reads a strata report and, and you see the two words that i'm about to utter run away like, like run away or if, if you are going to go in, then um, do more due diligence and, and, and understand the risk that you're getting into. And those two words that I found in the engineer's report were concrete spalling. So what the hell is concrete spalling? So now this is, this is, this is where I guess my chemistry degree starts to come in. Um, all, all that student debt I have <laughs> is when they pour, a lot of these apartments have, have what you called a, a suspended slab. So between each each level of apartments, you'll have a concrete slab, and then you know the next level goes on top of that. So you have these concrete slabs, and that that provides, um, along with the brickwork on on the outside, that provides the building its structural integrity, right? And when they you know manufacture these concrete slabs, and when they pour these slabs, you don't just they don't just pour concrete into some mold. They actually put a metal, a iron rebar or steel rebar in the concrete, and this this provides structural integrity. Now, what concrete spalling is, is when moisture and, and, and water essentially seeps through the concrete. So concrete is permeable, water can get through it. Again, this is why waterproofing um, your bathrooms and all these other things is so expensive. 
water gets through the concrete and reacts with carbon dioxide in the air, forms carbonic acid. This starts to cause the iron in the rebar to rust. Now, when iron rusts, when iron, sorry, becomes rust, well, its, its volume increases, right? You're adding more molecules to it. And when you have essentially a solid block of concrete and you've got iron in the middle of the concrete and that iron is increasing in volume, your concrete is now going to crack. And that down the track leads to concrete cancer. So concrete spalling is, I guess, the preliminary stages of concrete cancer. And I went, holy shit, I need to get, get out of this. And I remember I called a few friends that night and I was very stressed. Um, at this point, I'd put down a 0.25% holding deposit. I'd paid $450 for my building inspection, $250 for my strata report, and my lawyer's fees were $550 to have the contract reviewed and for him to help me out. So I'd invested $2,100. And I was like, holy crap, I, th- I, I, I think, I, no, not I think, I know I need to pull out of this building because this is a piece of shit in every, in, in every sense of the word. Like, I, I would need to spend, I, it's in, uninhabitable and the building has major issues. And so the next day I met with my lawyer. He said, look, um, there's a few, I guess, paths that you can take. He says, I, he was very clear that he wasn't going to make a decision for me. Again, he's very biased. Uh, sorry, not biased. He, he tries to keep his bias out of it and he tries to be neutral. Um, his job isn't to give you advice on whether you should buy or not. It's to make sure that the, the legal aspects of that transaction go through. Um, but he says, look, you, you can pull out now or you can go back and negotiate with the vendor and say, due to these issues, let's let's knock some more money off the price. And for me, it was given that I am looking to borrow only 30 to 40 percent of my capacity, like e- even if prices do increase, I'm still going to be in a position where I can buy something. I said, yep, I'm, I'm getting out of this purchase. So I called the real estate agent and I let him know that I was pulling out. He was a bit disappointed. At the same time, it's, it's not my job to please him. Buying, buying your first home, buying my first home is a big decision. And 100%, you should be very confident in what, what you're buying. So fundamentally, I had a very poor building inspection and a very poor strata report come back. And I pulled out of that purchase. I've definitely been um, a bit deflated from that because I spent, I've spent so much, I think I started searching I started thinking about buying a property in December and I started um, hardcore searching in February and I I thought this was going to be it and alas, didn't happen. That said, overall, I lost $2,100. I was able to pull out within my cooling off period. And actually that's wrong. I didn't lose $2,100. I paid $2,100 and probably got one of the most valuable lessons and valuable practical lessons in my life up to this point. I, I learned a lot about purchasing a property. I learned a lot about how strata strata and homeowners associations work. I learned a lot about building materials, issues with buildings, what to look out for. So in that sense, I paid $2,100 for professional development, which I'd, I'd normally spend maybe, maybe not that much money, but in the past, I've definitely invested money into my learning. And I definitely view this as a great learning experience because I've come out of it knowing what to look for. So here's what I did right. Have a great property lawyer in your court. Now, when you're buying property in Australia, you can get a conveyancer 
and the difference between a conveyancer and a lawyer will probably just be a few hundred dollars. But considering that you're gonna be spending a few hundred thousand, if not millions of dollars, especially if you're in a market like Sydney, why would you not pay a few hundred extra and get a good property lawyer? The due diligence and advice you're gonna get out of that is it's just so much greater. It's, it's gonna give you a good return on investment. So having a great lawyer, definitely a good thing. I think the next thing that I really loved that I did was making sure I had the due diligence. So with a unit, even the lawyer didn't recommend, uh, you know, building inspections aren't very common. Typically, a lot of people just get away with strata inspections, but I still went ahead with the building inspection because whilst a strata report will tell you about what's happening with the actual complex itself, it won't tell you, you know, it might tell you issues localized to your particular unit, but it won't tell you, you know, it won't give you the level of detail that a, a proper building inspector will give you. So. I, I really love that I, I had those three things done, a good lawyer, a strata report, and a building inspection. Now, what I would do differently is, I think I definitely had a bit of FOMO, even though I knew that all these properties had been on the market for a while. Again, we've got interest rates going up. A lot of investors have been scared out of the market. There aren't as many investors willing to pick up these properties because they really are at their peaks. And given given that I, I knew that this was the scenario, it probably wasn't the right decision for me to place an offer and, and you know pay my holding deposit, my 0.25% deposit, without having the strata report first. And I, I, did, I did feel a bit of FOMO. There was definitely a lot of pressure. I guess once once the vendor was happy that they accepted the price that I, I proposed, the agent was definitely very pushy on having me sign the contract. And I remember the agent telling me, oh, he was like, oh, Hassi, don't, you, you know these lawyers, once you get these lawyers involved, they're really gonna drag out the process and they're gonna make things very, very difficult. <laughs> and there was a lot of pressure and I think, no matter what, do not fall into that pressure from real estate agents because, you know, they're, I, I hate to say it, but some of them can be a bit slimy. And when I do go on to my next purchase, I'm going to try to be more conscious of those sales tactics and to make sure that they're not making me rush something that shouldn't be rushed. So I definitely get a strata report before putting my holding deposit in and locking it. And the reason I say this is because we are heading into a down market. Obviously, if you're in an up market where there are many buyers competing for one property, it may make sense to put down your holding deposit, but I'm specifically talking about, I guess, our current conditions or the conditions we're going into. That's definitely what I'd check. And I think I'd look for properties which require less work. So I, I was looking at definitely fixer upper units and for multiple reasons from what I've learned, um, I'll, I'll probably be trying to steer away from properties which need too much work. One of the reasons is when you're doing any type of renovation in Strata, again, you don't own anything beyond the paint. If you wanna renovate a bathroom, you need all of the owners in your Strata scheme or your owner's corporation to agree and allow you to go ahead and renovate that, your bathroom. So whilst it is your own property, if you do anything that involves common property, so again, anything below your floor coverings, which includes waterproofing, you need to contact Strata. And it's for very good reason as well. You know, if, if the unit above you was having their bathroom redone, you'd want to bloody well make sure that they had their waterproofing done properly. So fair enough. But that, and in, in Australia right now, like we've heard the news that there's a couple of commercial and residential builders which are struggling. I think the big one this week is Metricon and you know, materials prices are going up, trade availability, it's, it's very hard to get hold of tradies to get work done. So if I had purchased that apartment, I would have been struggling because I wouldn't have even been able to live in it until I got the work done. 
it would have been a considerable expense that I would have had to do in a short time frame, and it definitely would have pushed me financially. On top of the, you know, the issues of, I guess, having a, a poor strata scheme. And, and the other thing about the strata of what did pulled up was that there were special levies, which in addition to the regular quarterly strata payments, th there was a history that they required all the owners to cough things up when the strata scheme was running out of money. So look, overall, the process was very stressful. It took a lot of time out of my life. It took a lot of money out of my life. I <laughs> was very emotionally invested in it. That said, I'm very happy that I took the action, both in actually making the offer and going, th going through the process and also knowing when to back out, knowing, you know, acknowledging that this is probably gonna be a bad decision and, and that I shouldn't go ahead with it. But overall, I'm quite happy because if anything, knowledge is power. And knowing what I know now, when I go to my next property purchase, or sorry, <laughs> when I finally go through with my first property purchase and, and, and see it through to completion, I can make sure that I'm looking for things which I wasn't even aware of when I put the offer on this property. So that's the story of how I almost purchased my first home and pulled out at the last minute. I hope all of you picked up something from this and if you are looking for a property, good luck. It's, it's definitely not easy and I have a lot of empathy for you all. You've just made it through another episode of Monologues by Hassie. It brings me great pleasure to know that you made it to the end. To listen to more episodes, subscribe on your favourite podcast app or visit monologuesbyhassie.com. Thanks for swinging by.